This month at Book Riot, we're giving away a $100 gift card to Amazon in support of Swords and Spaceships. It's our weekly newsletter about all things sci-fi and fantasy. Sign up for the newsletter at bookriot.com slash sffgiveaway to be entered to win the $100 gift card, and you'll hear about new sci-fi and fantasy releases, interesting industry news, backlist recommendations, and so much more. Again, enter at bookriot.com slash sffgiveaway. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. Today, illustrator Francis Vallejo and romance author Mia Sosa talk about works that have shaped their own craft. Francis Vallejo is an award-winning American artist and an assistant professor of illustration at the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. He earned his BFA from Ringling College of Art and Design and has since created artwork for many notable clients including Candlewick Press, Snapple, Vibe Magazine, and Camelback. His illustration work includes Jazz Day, Roxanne Orgill's book on photography for younger readers, which won the 2016 Boston Globehorn Book Award for Best Picture Book, among other accolades. Most recently, he illustrated the Folio Society edition of Anansi Boys by Neil Gaiman. Hello, my name is Francis Vallejo, and Zoom by Istvan Banya is my recommended. Zoom by Istvan Banya is a wordless book that he released in the 90s. And in the first page, uh, it begins with a very abstract crop of an image. And as you move throughout the book, it sequentially zooms into the images. And you keep noticing a, a story start to play out just by the images. So, for instance, you might see a texture, a bumpy texture, and then you zoom into it past it and then you notice that it's a starfish and then you keep going and that starfish the next image is on a beach and so on and so forth so the story is told almost through a flying camera through the images it's really really stunning and in a, in a novel way book pun to create a story it's really great i encountered this book in in a way that is <laughs> uh, a way that i've encountered a lot of books recently in that uh, me and my and my uh, partner go to thrift stores a lot. It's just a thing we do. We, we, we like treasure hunting, antique stores and such. In all of those type of stores, uh, they always have a book section. And it's a, it's a treat because most books are like 50 cents, you know. So um, as a side note, you know, if I ever find my own book in a thrift store, I'll be the happiest of all time. It's like the circle of life. Anyways, I was just rummaging through some some books and uh, I seen this this book, Zoom, uh, which has a really bold, simple cover. And I immediately recognized it as Isfan's work because I'm a fan. And that was Im immediately just a treat. Like, wow, I wouldn't, wouldn't assume I'd find his work out in the wild like this. And I picked it up and I, I was familiar that this book existed, but I had never read it. So this must have been recently, probably in, in this past December. It blew me away. Um, I've read it maybe four or five times. I, I teach at the College Street Creative Studies in Detroit. I brought it into my class and we've analyzed it and talked about it. So it, it's one of my better, better finds of recent. I first came across Isfan's work in probably in art school. Uh, I must have been maybe 19, 20 years old. This would have been in the 2006 or so. And I, I just really appreciated the, the graphic appeal of it especially because at that time I was interested in line work and really bold colors, rather. What blew me away is that uh, he really started to make a name for himself in the, in the 90s. 
and he's still working, doing beautiful work today. But especially in the 90s, that aesthetic was unique uh, because there wasn't necessarily as much use of Photoshop, which is how that look would be done today. He did it in a, a remixed version, if you will, of animation in that he would uh, ink on a piece of clear acetate, like cell animation paper, and then he would turn it over and he would paint the other side. And I, I, I mean, I'm, when most people see his work that aren't familiar, they just assume it's, it's digitally done, but it's not. It's done traditionally. So when I found that out about his work back then, I was like, whoa, that's pretty neat, right? Especially I just, as an artist myself, I appreciate desiring a certain look for my work and using whatever I have at my disposal to do it. I had a teacher, Marshall Vandruff, and he said, good line work is is like dolphins elegantly jumping through the crest of the waves of the water and back into it. And, and you know, he's a very eloquent, articulate gentleman. But I do tend to agree in that whatever you're drawing, whether it's a, a, a a cactus or a finger or an eyeball, just the usage of a line to describe the form, whether it's simply or in, in a much more complicated way is, is really exciting. And I, I, I obviously can tell Istvan uh, appreciates that being a primarily linear artist. And in the way that he tends to like a little bit more complicated line work. I, I definitely take that from him in that when you're going to draw an eye, especially if it's a larger eye, you could simplify or, or not <laughs> like I might do and, and really get into, you know, how does the underside of the eyelid relate to the eyeball and the eyelashes and how is it specific and individual to this character and, and really enjoying the searching and the movement of the line through the form and, Definitely, his work was an early introduction into that articulation of shapes and, and subject matter. As far as how to approach how my illustrations work in, in books, I think when I'm given words, I think my biggest decision is that do I illustrate the words themselves rather directly? So if there's a scene, for example, where a character is walking into a room, does my illustrations literally show a character walking into a room and I just draw and paint it really well? Or do I illustrate between the lines? Do I illustrate perhaps what the character was doing right before that scene or maybe show the outside of the building and you can just see the window of the room? And I'm, through my illustration, adding additional context and mood to the scene. And that's that's a big decision. And I can't say that I have an, a strong opinion on that yet. I've talked to multiple authors and some say their favorite work might be more like a Norman Rockwell, where it's literally and narratively describing the, the, the text or the story. And some writers say, no, the reader's imagination is the best illustration. So I want your illustrations to add additional mood and, and to add parts of the story that aren't there that I'm not writing about. That's what I want you to do. So I think my opinion on that is, is surely going to evolve throughout my career. I selected this book because I do desire to put out a fully creator-owned project where you know the story is my idea and and I uh, illustrate it as well. I think you know a lot of book artists tend to desire that at some point in their career. I'm very scared of having to write it, even though I, I think I'm I'm okay with words. It's just I mean, who am I? that spent all my life learning to draw, all of a sudden I can walk in and think I can write, you know, and, and that might be self-defacing, but 
whatever, you know, we're, we're our own hard critics sometimes, hardest critics sometimes. So when I became aware of books like Zoom, it's like, well, you know, I just, I still have to have a very fully fleshed out articulate idea of the story, but I can tell it through my pictures. I know I can do that. And maybe that'll be my way of easing into a creator own book is, is, is something like Zoom. And I in no way am saying that that's any sort of lesser art form at all. It's just a different art form. So I think the emphasis on your picture's incredibly focused ability to, to tell the story immediately and every element in your picture from the, the doorknob to the angle of the hand to completely and absolutely communicate the idea of the picture becomes even more important because you have no words to support it. But at the same time, you know, that is kind of what I do. That sounds really awesome. I suppose that's where my head's at as, as far as illustrating books. One of the reasons as, as a creator myself that I really appreciate Zoom is what does a book mean? is an important question that I ask myself a lot. And I, you know, I only have two books under my belt and I, I hopefully look forward if I'm so fortunate to have the rest of my life making books. Uh, I continually want to evolve what that means to me. So a book is a bound collection of, of words and, and pictures, and there can be varying levels of words and pictures. In this case, there's words on the front and the back, and then that's it. All the interior is pictures with books going like onto tablets and like virtual reality and all this or that. And some people embracing that, but some people doubling down and embracing the physical form. I think how the stories are told within the book art form is exciting. So when I see a book like Zoom, that to me is, is such a fresh way of telling a story. That's, that's my favorite. I love that. And of course the story is amazing, but just the challenge that it provides me and how can I approach things. Someone like Chris Ware and his books where it's more of like a, a suite or a collection of bound material. One's a comic, one's a fold-out poster, one's like a pamphlet, one's like a, a novel and it's in a big, beautiful, luxurious box where even the sides of the box are illustrated and there's many stories like on the corners, like hidden stories. Like that's Ooh, that gets that gets me all twisted up into a knot. That's exciting. And Zoom did that for me. That's that's sort of why I chose it. And that's awesome. And that'll never end, right? With with how books are presented to culture, because books will never die. Long live books. There'll always be new approaches for how to sequence those words and pictures. And that's awesome. That's that's exciting and that keeps me going. And and Zoom was good fuel for that fire for sure. Thanks again to Francis Vallejo for joining us and recommending Zoom by Istvan Banya. Anansi Voice by Neil Gaiman with a foreword from Nalo Hopkinson and illustrations by Vallejo is available from the Folio Society. You can follow him on Twitter at Francis Vallejo. This episode of Recommended is sponsored by The Chef by James Patterson. Police detective by day, celebrity food truck chef by night. Now Caleb Bruni has a new title, Most Wanted. In the carnival days leading up to Mardi Gras, Detective Caleb Rooney comes under investigation for a murder he is accused of committing in the line of duty as a major crimes detective for the New Orleans Police Department. Has his sideline at the Killer Chef food truck given him a taste for murder? While fighting the charges against him, Rooney makes a pair of unthinkable discoveries. His beloved city is under threat of attack, and these would-be terrorists may be local. 
You've heard his name, but if you haven't read his books lately, James Patterson has sold more titles than any other author, with over 385 million books in print. We've got a detective fighting to prove his own innocence, uncovering unthinkable plots, but I won't give away the ending. No spoilers here. There are more twists, turns, and tasty New Orleans treats than you can imagine. So if you are looking for a book to jumpstart your 2019 reading list, The Ultimate Page Turner has arrived, and it's The Chef. The Chef is available now in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook everywhere books are sold. And thanks again to The Chef by James Patterson for sponsoring the show. Mia Sosa is an award-winning contemporary romance writer and 2015 Romance Writers of America Golden Heart finalist. Her books have received praise and recognition from Kirkus Reviews, Booklist, Library Journal Starred Reviews, The Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, and more. Booklist recently called her the new go-to author for fans of sassy and sexy contemporary romances. A former First Amendment and media lawyer, Mia now writes fun, flirty, and moderately dirty stories about imperfect characters finding their perfect match. Her newest book, Crashing Into Her, follows an aspiring stuntwoman named Eva as she finds out that the one-night stand from a friend's wedding is her new instructor, who doesn't want her anywhere near his stunt school or his heart. My name is Mia Sosa, and Sula by Toni Morrison is my recommended. Well, it's been a while since I've read it, but Sula is the story, um, in my mind, of two Black women in the 1920s in a place called Medallion, Ohio. Um, And it basically is the story of their friendship and their experiences and the way that they relate to each other within this community and outside of this community. So here's the thing. I have the worst memory in the world. but I am almost certain that I read this book in high school. And that's how I first came across it. Last month on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, there was a video going around in the Twitterverse. And it was a video of an interview that Dr. King did at some point. And The question that had been posed to him, and I'm paraphrasing here, was to the effect of what is it about Black Americans and every other group that came here as an immigrant that made the Black American experience different? Is it the color of their skin? Kind of explain. And Dr. King, not surprisingly, (laughs) made some very effective points, one of which is that America freed the slaves, but gave them no land or nothing in reality to get started on. And again, I'm paraphrasing here from what I remember, um, but was willing to give white peasants from Europe an economic base. And I immediately thought of Sula. And and that's something that is rare, only because I, I know um, how bad my memory is. But it was striking to me that I remembered the beginning of the book in which Morrison talks about the origins of the bottom, which is where the book is set. And it's this place in Medallion, Ohio. 
where black people used to live, but which is now sort of the suburbs um, and was itself a character of the book. And there's a story there as to how the bottom got started. And in the book, she describes that it was basically a joke that there was a white farmer promised freedom and a piece of bottomland to his slave if he performed backbreaking work. But when it came time for the farmer to pay up, freedom was easy, but giving up the land was not. So he told the slave that he had to give him valley land, even though he'd hoped to give him bottom land. The slave was confused. The slave thought valley land was bottom land. And he said, no, no, the hills above the valley was the bottom um, with rich and fertile soil. And it was called that because when God's looking down, it's the bottom. So there was this trickery going on, which basically convinced the slave that he wanted the bottom land, which was up in the hills, but which in reality wasn't good for farming, um, ultimately was not fertile soil. And it struck me what Dr. King was talking about was this very thing that Morrison had described at the beginning of Sula. And the fact that I could remember that was remarkable to me. (laughs) And it made me realize how impactful the book had been to me and how much of an impression it had made on me over the years that I could sort of recall that instance of sort of how this community was created. And I think of her as sort of this figure that is, in my mind, similar to James Baldwin and Nikki Giovanni and sort of these incredibly nuanced thinkers who helped me to kind of understand the Black experience in this country. As explanation, I am Afro-Latina, so I have an affinity for learning about Black experiences, and so it's not my own experience, but it is part of my experience. So I'm always fascinated by those kinds of discussions, and I think that these individuals, Morrison among them, played a role in me sort of understanding what that experience is like in this country. The thing that is striking to me now when I think about Sula and the fact that I can't forget it as a novel is that it taught me things before I knew what they were. So as an example, I think that Sula taught me about intersectionality before I knew what intersectionality was. If you read this book, and this is why I think it's such a powerful book, you really get the sense of what it's like to not just be a woman or to be a Black person, but to be a Black woman in this country and how that is itself its own experience. And I know that now to be intersectionality. I didn't know that then, not in high school. But having reread the book recently, it strikes me that there is so much about it that is about the nuance of that particular experience, but also that that particular experience as shown between these two characters isn't itself one experience. 
that there are nuances within the black woman's experience in this country. And I just find it so rich and effective at making me really think about how I perceive others, how others perceive me, what I put out into the world, what I feel safe about putting out into the world. And because of that, it's one of those books that's really stayed with me. Sula is, it is a masterclass in world building. This community, the bottom, is itself a character. And the way that that community reacts to these two women and the things that they do in their lives is something that I think I try to impart. It's sort of um, in my books, I try to create a world so that readers really think these people exist and that they're going to exist beyond the happily ever after. And I think to do that effectively, the places that they're at become characters. The people who surround them as secondary characters are rich and have their own lives and have their own goals and their own troubles. And I think when I write, I try to do that. Likely not as effective as Toni Morrison. <laughs> Nowhere near as effective as Toni Morrison, but it's a, it's a goal. And I think that's really striking. I read a lot of romance because I'm writing romance now. And when I'm not reading romance, I'm usually reading books about people's experiences. So memoirs, I am about to start Michelle Obama's Becoming. And so that is kind of what I gravitate towards. But really, I really focus on when I'm not reading romance as fiction, I'm reading uh, books about today's reality or trying to understand today's society and different people's reality. I think Ta-Nehisi Coates, as, a, as an example, it is uh, Between the World and Me was a book that I read recently. That's kind of where I go. I kind of go between like full-on romance <laughs> and then really delving into sort of society's ills and how do you deal with them. It does creep into my writing just because I, I think when I'm creating those worlds, I don't want to drop people into a world that doesn't exist. I want my characters, particularly because I write uh, characters of color, to have good experiences and to be surrounded by support. But what's happening around them isn't something that I can completely set aside. Um, and so in a couple of my books, I can think off the top of my head where there is a discussion about intersectionality and the experiences, for example, of women in Hollywood and how that experience is compounded if you're a black woman. So it's the stuff that people who are outside of the romance genre might not think they would find in a romance, but people who are in the genre know very well that that's the kind of stuff that you may read when you read a romance. Thanks again to Mia Sosa for joining us and recommending Sula by Toni Morrison. 
Crashing Into Her, published by Avon, is available wherever ebooks are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Mia Sosa Romance. Thanks again to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback and it helps other folks to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended, and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com.